What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For. People who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Hi, everyone. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Stacy Spikes. You are supposed to be here. You are supposed to play a part. You are supposed to move the conversation forward in your own unique way. Remember to stay in contact with that kid that was in a bedroom and had dreams. And don't let that kid die. Stacy Spikes is an award-winning entrepreneur and inventor who USA Today named one of the 21 most influential African-Americans in technology. He is the co-founder and CEO of the nation's first theatrical subscription service called MoviePass. In addition, Spikes is the founder of Urban World, the largest international festival dedicated to nurturing women and minority filmmakers. Spikes is the author of an empowering business memoir called Black Founder, The Hidden Power of Being an Outsider. I cannot wait to dive into this conversation with Stacy Spikes. Hi, Stacy. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for being on To Dine For. And I'm really excited to join you, Stacy, and hear your story because it is a very, very interesting one. But I'm going to begin this podcast the way I begin all my podcasts by asking, where is your favorite restaurant? I know you're from Houston, but you've lived all over. So I'm wondering yeah. if you could take me anywhere, where would it be? You know, the my so I live in the West Village. I've been here for 20 years now. Amazing. And I knew I was going to be on with you. So there was a whole family discussion about this <laughs> in my house last night. And um, it was unanimous for all of us. But it's Bar Petey, which mm -hmm. is down in the West Village. And 
We so it's at the end of my block. So I'm on Downing Street. I have to stop you because I live directly across from Bar Pity. I lived at eleven Downing. No. Oh my gosh, we were neighbors. We yeah. were neighbors, and I didn't know it. if you've been there twenty years. I was there in yeah. 2010. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. So I was eating at Bar Pity over the weekend, and our daughter's first birthday like she's grown up giovanni if you know giovanni yes, like yes. she's grown up literally you know going to bar pd and it was always birthdays or special occasions. her very first birthday was at the big table in the back yep i know exactly she where was that one is year old. yeah Aww. yeah so so that's well, that was that was it it was pretty easy it's a neighborhood joint. It's yeah. casual, but it's delicious food. It's easy. Yeah. It's a very fun restaurant. I love that choice. Yeah. And and it's it it's like if you are local, you know how to beat the waves. You know how to be just in front of lunch or just before dinner. Mm-hmm. And so we actually went to Barpiti on New Year's Eve and they were closing at eight o'clock. And it was so funny. The tourists were like showing up at eight like can we eat and they're like no we're closing like but who closes like in new york it's like see you gotta you gotta be on the no yes yeah it's a true local is such a yeah he's such a sweetheart and um love that place so whenever my family comes because the olive oil is actually from his place in italy i believe that and so my my wife's italian and so it's it's a whole thing so She's into the olive oil. It's all about the olive oil. You know, Giovanni, you walk in there and you feel like you're going to somehow this is the restaurant that's in your family. Yes. And one of your cousins owns it or something. And you 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 come over. Right. The personal touch of Giovanni introducing people and seating them. And how's your food today? And him constantly being engaged. Even his kids, when they would come and be serving food, he made sure that there's a family feeling there. Mm-hmm. Okay, we yeah. could go on and on because <laughs> if you live in the West Village, we could definitely talk restaurants the entire hour, oh, yeah. but oh, yeah. we, we will not. We have to get into your story, which is so interesting. I'd like you to take me back to Houston, to how okay. you grew up. When you were in high school, who did you want to be? Oh, wow. Well, all I, I tell people all the time growing up in Houston with a girl named like Stacy was not very fun. <laughs> and my I, I remember asking my mother when I was much older, I was like, what were you thinking? She goes, well, it's good for character building. And I said, in my next life, I don't want that kind of character building. <laughs> oh, I love it. it was like I was always cornered in the bathroom. It's like, you're a girl. Like, you know, and, and my. Give me I a remember, break. Yeah, I remember elementary school, my teacher saying, how is it that every morning at first period, you're always so dirty? Mm-hmm. And it's like, because I was always getting picked on and in mm-hmm. fights and, I, and and it did help with character and it did help with being compassionate with people who got picked on or were made fun of. Because I was a little scrawny kid and, and, you know, the first time like, punching the bully back in his nose and going for it on the playground. It changed you as a person. But sure. um, so that was Houston. Okay. <laughs> um, was born and raised, grew up on the southeast side of town near the Astrodome. Mm-hmm. When we were little kids, you could stand on our roof and you could just see the top of the Astrodome. And 
it was like, and you were growing up in NASA's backyard and the mm-hmm. space race was still in people's minds and the Astrodome was as if a spaceship landed. And so I wanted to be, um, I either wanted to be a actor, musician, or a fighter pilot. Mm. And I, I still to this day have a fascination with with planes and flying, and am still trying to finish getting my pilot's license. But that was it. It was I, I wanted to fly fighter jets and go really fast and do Mach one, or it was going to be music or, or film for me. And where did your love of film begin? This is how it was back in the day on Saturdays, so my mom could get her errands done. She would take me and my brother give us each $10, mm. leave us there and come mm. and pick us up later in the afternoon after mm. she ran her errands. Mm. And the managers knew us and everything, but every Saturday when we weren't in some sports, that was it. That was yeah. what we did. And you could, maybe there was a Disney movie that you went to see multiple times or you went to see two or three movies. And so that was my earliest memory of this activity and then you go with your parents and you would, there's that unexplainable thing. I, I tell people that movie going is the live event of the movie industry. Mm-hmm. It is where space and time kind of come together. It's not me watching it on my phone or watching it at TV. I completely agree. And there's no, there's no duplicate of it. To me, the soundtrack of the people around you is part of the movie just like when you go to a concert you're all singing the same song you know and so to me it immediately had resonance but i think to a degree that when i saw blade Runner, i was 12 years old and it was a rated r film Mm -hmm. and i begged my parents to let me see it and my parents were deeply annoyed like First, it's rated R, and why? Like, they saw the trailers, like, this looks horrible. <laughs> and um, that movie changed my life. And how did it change your life? What was it about that movie? I, uh, My very first class in film, we studied Blade Runner, but yeah. I'm just wondering for yeah. you, like, what was it about it that changed your life? You know, it's really funny. I had seen Star Wars, mm-hmm. and there's one where it was you were entertained, but what Ridley Scott did with flying cars with technology, it felt so attainable. And I, and I, I, I today call myself somewhat of a futurist. Cinema is a way of showing you the future in such intimate detail that most of technology that you see from a hologram that someone saw in Star Wars or VR, which you saw in Johnny Mnemonic or you know, so many of these things we saw first in the movies. And mm. I just felt like you could create the worlds before they're even here. Like you, even if you're an actor or a director, like you can go 3000 years into the future, you can go back into the past, but you have the power to create any point in space and time mm. and tell storytelling. And it was like, this is the best of writing. It's the best of imagery. It is the best of music and sound. It is the highest art form that a human being has ever created. Mm -hmm. And so I I thought someone asked me if I I was doing an interview and someone said, well, who would you want to go to the movies with living or dead? And I thought that was a great question. And Mm -hmm. I said, I'd love to take Victor Hugo Mm -hmm. 
and say, here's Le Miserable or here's 10,000 leads under the sea, or let us show you what we did with your story. Yeah. Right? Ooh, that's and, great. And, and I just thought, could you imagine having Leonardo da Vinci who talked about flying machines and showing him this stuff, you know? I, so that's what's so powerful to me. And it movies are the thing like great music that gets you through tough times. Yes. Like when I lost the company once and I remember going to see Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe mm -hmm. and sitting in the audience in the theater in the middle of the day. And when he's telling his daughter, he's like, no, Rosie, I had a I had a stake and I won the fight. Meanwhile, we just saw he broke his hand. He lost the fight and he didn't get paid and he didn't eat. And yet he's telling his daughter, I had a stake and I had this and I and and seeing how that story helped me get through that tough time and how cinema takes us and helps us through those difficult moments in life where there's real life characters or these make-believe characters that stand up to things. So there's two concepts that you've just fleshed out that I think are fascinating. First of all, absolutely film as art helps us get through difficult times. Obviously it had an indelible impression on you as a youngster who having to go every weekend, you know, movies were your babysitter. Yeah. But there's another idea that stuck with you, I think, when you were 12, and that is the idea that we can create an alternative reality, something beautiful, something wonderful, and step into it. And yeah. that is something that that somehow in that Blade Runner you felt. So when did it go from as a 12-year-old loving Blade Runner and, and having that idea to actually thinking you, yeah. a Black kid from Houston, could be a part of the movie-making experience? Yeah, I think the beauty is when you're a kid, you don't know what limitations lie outside your bedroom. You tear things out from a magazine or a poster on the wall. And, you know, I was in a Rush cover band and I was a lead singer. And, um, <laughs> and so how you thought about possibilities was endless. And yet it's not until you get out into the real world. So that high school kid who's going to just go out there and had $300 and moved to Los Angeles and is going to take over the world. You just didn't know what you couldn't do. And so right. Los Angeles was a futuristic city. It was going to be all these things. And when I got there, I'm like, wait, there's gum on the ground on the <laughs> Hollywood Walk of Fame and these stars. <laughs> And wait, there's winos and like, this isn't, this isn't where I was. You know. This is no fantasy. Right. It was like, okay, go wait tables and get paid worse than minimum wage. And you should feel lucky that you're at this restaurant that someone may yeah. walk in and ask you who you are. Like, it was just getting to Los Angeles was like a rude awakening of the difference between fantasy and reality where you totally lived in a world where you went to the record store and you bought this album and you didn't see them make the album in the studio. You just, you just listened to Pink Floyd or you listened to these albums and it was like, you just was suddenly in these worlds. You didn't mm. see the record contracts, the lawyers, the negotiating, none of that. And so for me to get back to your, your question, it was, you didn't know what you didn't know. 
And you just set off on this adventure. And I think all young people have that and you you're going to change the world and you're going to be a part of it. And so it was, I didn't know if I was going to make the movies like a director would or be in the movies or do the score. Like when I used to lie in my bedroom and play the soundtrack for Star Wars, the dun, 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 yes. dun, oh, dun, dun, dun. it's every day. And I have three boys. It's head- every day. Right? Every, every day I hear that song. Right. You've got the headphones on and you think, wow, someone can change my mood. Mm-hmm. What John Williams does with mm-hmm. sound mm-hmm. and how much it's a character. That's that's how I actually got in the music industry first. And then but I did soundtracks. So I came in through soundtracks. And so to me, sound is is a character. When you go see a Christopher Nolan film. He really understands when you see Tennant or Oppenheimer or Dunkirk. Dunkirk the whole time is intense. Yeah. He, he he never lets you relax. Right. I saw Dunkirk. I started with the bag of popcorn and by the end I still had a full bag of it was like because <laughs> he's going Yes. You don't know what's gonna happen because that sound. So you're you're you, you touch down in LA, you yeah. you see the gum on the street. Yeah. Take me from that moment to the and I'm sure you had several jobs in between, but take me to the first moment where you were like, "Okay, here I am. Maybe I can do this." Well, I'm going to tell you the moment maybe I can't do this. Okay. So I, I'm taking acting classes. I'm taking singing classes. I'm going to be a triple threat. I'm going to be able to sing and dance. And back then, this is late 80s, early 90s. I'm going on auditions. And NWA is huge. Mm-hmm. Guns N' Roses, Nirvana. The world is hard. There's mm-hmm. a hard edge. MTV mm-hmm. is Headbangers Ball. Yep. Yo MTV raps. So you go on these, you get sent on these auditions and you're either trying to do film or commercials. And I remember going on this audition and behind the desk are white kids, mm-hmm. the director and these casting agents, and they're all white. Mm-hmm. And everybody outside is black. Mm-hmm. And we're right back then the gangster films was popular. So the, the role, the part, was I'm supposed to show up, there's a bunch of white kids camping and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna hijack them, bring my gun and I'm going to rob them and take one of their hoes with me as Mm -hmm. I take their vehicle and leave. And I'm doing this and I thought, this is the thought I had. If Spike Lee does this film, he can put it in context that that character that might be robbing these people has depth and dimension that we understand why he's doing this. If Martin Scorsese shows you any of those Italian characters, there's a range to them that you have compassion for the crude things that they're doing. In the hands of these kids, this script was flat. There was no backstory to these characters. They were these, and 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 it broke my heart. Yeah. It, it it to me it was like okay if you're gonna tell those stories, 
there's the, when you go see the Malcolm X story and Malcolm X was a drug dealer. He was a pimp. He was all these things. Okay. But they gave this full scope of this characters. Right. And, and the character Spike was Lee's fleshed hands. out. I get you. Right. Yeah. And so I'm not saying you don't tell those those stereotypes, but let's right. go underneath them and right. find out why that person is that way. And when you get deep enough and you spend time with Luke Skywalker or Anakin and Darth Vader, you'll find out they all think the same. You mm-hmm. spend enough time with them, we're all the same. You spend enough time with anybody, you realize no one's different. Culturally, we're all the same. And But what was heartbreaking was this feeling of a trap that you can't make change. You're part of this assembly line that you're going to stay in this place. Mm. And so Denzel- I see what you're saying. Was Was this the catalyst for you saying, hey, let me be on the other side? Why is it all white folks on the other side making these decisions, running the show? Why not me? When I was growing up, the number one book and the number one person that affected me more than anyone was Richard Branson. Mm. I was I was in high school when he dropped his first book called Losing My Virginity. Mm-hmm. And his second book was called Virgin King. Mm-hmm. And I never knew there were people behind the people you see that are actually even more powerful and yes. more constructive. And they they're making careers happen and they can walk down the street and you don't know who they are. Right. So then I started studying Barry Gordy, David Geffen, Richard Branson, uh, Lou Wasserman, who ran Universal. I started reading all their biographies. Mm. And then I felt, to, to answer the first part of your question, then I felt a sense of empowerment because I realized, wait a second. There's a power structure that if you actually help other people get where they're trying to go, you all can get there together. So Mm -hmm. that's where the shift went from. I saw actors being vulnerable, but they couldn't determine their destiny. They couldn't create where they were going to go. You just got up and some person behind a desk determined your destiny. Yeah. What if you can control that? And that's where that's what changed. And then it was like okay, I can do that. And that's more powerful than being needing approval of others to determine you can exist and how you exist. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
To Dine For, the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Angostura. If you've ever made a cocktail at home, you've most likely shaken Angostura bitters into your cocktail at the very end of the cocktail making process. In addition to bitters, Angostura has been making world-class rum for more than 130 years. The next fall cocktail you make, Try the beautiful, smooth flavor of Angostura rum. It will transport you to the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. The House of Angostura will celebrate its 200-year anniversary of turning drinks into cocktails in 2024. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. We had this epiphany that, yes, you could continue on the path to trying to become an actor, but in a way... It, it really wasn't quite aligned with who you are and who you wanted to be. It, you wanted something different. Take me now, you get a job at Miramax, right? Which at the time, that was huge. And you don't just get a job there. You work there, you work your way up. Talk to me about the experience at Miramax, because it's really a great segue to talking about your book, Black Founder. Your experience at Miramax and how you navigated that and what that experience was like. So it's not a secret that the Weinsteins were ruthless to work for. They were hardcore. And this is still the early period. So a lot of the stuff that was their demise wasn't on the scene yet. The casting couch and other things that have been part of Hollywood's history. And, but that stuff hadn't surfaced. So I was still there very early. It was after Pulp Fiction. So I did Train Spotting, yes. The Crow. Uh-huh. I was there when we did uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's film, yes. Shakespeare. Um, Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. I was there with Chocolat. I was yep. there. So I was there when it was the hottest place. Yeah, I'm telling you, you really were. You really talk about timing and luck and yeah. all that. And how did it feel? Did it feel that way or was it hard? Was it rough? I, I mean, it was, it was, I, I tell people it was like, if regular work is the army, the movie industry is the Marines. Mm. Miramax was special forces. Wow. It was it was Green Beret. We're dropping four people off. You're going to halo jump from 20,000 feet. No one's coming to get you. You need to go do a mission and get out because we were a tiny company, but yet had 20 to 40 releases a year. Mm-hmm. And you worked so hard. Like I remember we'd work during Oscar season. You worked till 2 a.m., went home and was back in the office by eight. Mm, those are restaurant hours. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's kids today who work here and I sit there and go, you don't understand what work is. Like, yeah. 
it's a different level, next level. Right. And and then there was here's here's a part to me that those guys had a vision of the movie industry that had started to die. And the old Hollywood where you made stars, when we think about many of the actors today that are working, all came through the Miramax system. The ones that are right now from Brad Pitt to Ben and Matt and Jennifer Lopez and Queen Latifah and Lawrence Fishburne and so many of them are are here because of that. And they just had this belief and they they were buying films that were foreign films. When we look at the landscape today where a film like Parasite a film like mm-hmm. Past Lives, mm-hmm. films that are different languages when you see Anatomy of a Fall, that's all part of from those Miramax days that they made a cultural in America where if you want to be a better American, you go look at films from other parts of the world and you go experience these cultures like Godzilla in, in the U.S. being the highest grossing Japanese film of all times that comes from that time period where they were shepherding in something different. And so that's still with us today. No, no, no. I I understand culturally how important Miramax is. My question, and it's a really more pointed question, is your experience there. You know, like, did you experience racism? Was it difficult to work there? What was it like? There wasn't racism. Everybody sucked in their eyes. It was like, (laughs) it was an equal opportunity. Oh, yeah. It was, it was. So I I talk about this in the book. There's this moment, and I've been there a little bit. It's brutal. We're in a meeting, and Harvey goes, Stacey, I want you to do me a favor. And I've got my notepad, and I'm, I'm ready to go. And he goes, I want you to go to a tattoo parlor. And I'm right, okay. <laughs> and I want you to get the word idiot tattooed on your forehead in reverse so that when you wake up every morning and you look in the mirror, you know what you are. In that moment, right? In that moment, did you laugh? Please tell me you laughed. I mean, because that is just so awful. You can't laugh in front of them. You can't can't laugh in front of them. It's like running from a dog. Mm -hmm. You can't laugh in front of them. But when you get out and you're like... So what did, what did they say to you today, right? Like, you couldn't make this stuff up. Yeah. It was just like, forget an HR department. Right, it, it was, right, right. This and and I was one of two Black people at the company at the time. Mm. And, it, and so it's like equal opportunity destroyers. It, you didn't feel singled out in any way. In a way, you had the golden ticket because as you explained, Miramax was where you wanted to be. If you wanted to be in Hollywood doing the work that you wanted to do, Boom, you were there. Yeah. But you were, yeah. you, you, just as you explained, you were just, you're treated, you're experiencing horror. Like this is a horror show of, of HR, right? HR horror show. Yeah. I'm assuming you're, you're seeing so many different layers of awfulness of the industry called Hollywood. Yeah. And yet, what are you thinking to yourself? Are you thinking, I want to be a part of this? I can change this? What is your MO right in that moment? Look, here's the thing that I, I think everybody, whoever works at a, in a tough environment. I'm sure people working at Tesla. I'm sure people who worked at Apple under Steve Jobs. I'm sure people who are at SpaceX. What I felt 
was a pride in when the campaigns connected with people and people went to see the movies. I felt the hard work environment. I don't want to use the word justified, but I felt like, okay, you're not going to get that out of people without pushing. So there was a balance where we were, though it was hard, we were proud. And that's why I use that military analogy where you're not going to have special forces people known and on the evening news doing interviews. But when they went in and got Osama bin Laden, they make movies of those guys. Well, the, the stuff we were doing and what we were able to accomplish as a little tiny company, you were very, very proud on Oscar night if you worked at Miramax because, and we worked our little butts off and we were in our 20s. You know, I, I was a kid. You were, you were, you were a kid taking it all in and you were yeah. learning. And, and, and in a way, I'm sure there was a part of you who didn't feel like you had a choice because this is the destiny you wanted. You wanted to be a part of the movie industry and you were literally in one of the best seats in the house if that's your goal. Yeah, but I came from the music industry where there was a whole nother level of crazy over there. And it was, <laughs> it was a different kind of film requires a lot of disciplines to put all of these things together and then you gotta pull it off in a very short amount of time. You can have a recording artist and maybe the album is not great, but you can go remix the single and you can go do these things and you can kind of doctor it along the way. And, and But film is very, if your opening weekend sucks, it's over. It's right. like you don't have a lot of chances at, at to bite at that apple. So working in crazy, stressful entertainment environments was not new. I've got a whole bunch of music industry stories for that too. So that part wasn't as alarming to me, but the work ethic is something that I think was stellar. It was mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. It is a, was a great place to learn. I don't think I could have built Urban World. I don't think I could have built Movie Pass. I don't think I could have built the things that I've done if I hadn't had exposure to that level of work ethic and what does it mean to get shit done with no resources. <laughs> Which came first, Urban World or Movie Pass? Urban World came first and then Movie Pass actually spun off out of, we were trying to find a way to create a subscription model to help minority films have a circuit that we could put things out. And we saw if we could get a certain, like you get a thousand people to become regular subscribers, you could have the PA budget to release those in five markets. And that's where Movie Pass was born, was to help those filmmakers get their films out and released. Because theaters would not show them, correct? There are a lot of films that they just weren't big enough for movies to show. So the idea was yeah. that Movie Pass could help facilitate underrepresented movies really blossom. A lot of people have no idea that's that was its original origin in the technology to figure out if you're a subscriber, how do we let you in and not pay because you're a member, but somebody else pays at a theater? Well, once we figured out that technology, someone said, well, you just built Netflix for movie theaters. And I was like, I guess we, we did. <laughs> guess and we then, did. 
But that's where it came from. So with all of your experience in Hollywood and here you are starting MoviePass, how did you want to do it differently given all that you had trudged through in special ops, you know, to get yeah. where you are? I mean, the number one thing is I think you can drive teams to do extraordinary things, but you don't have to be as big of a jerk. And I think that's probably the, if you're going to work at any company that I'm running, it's going to be hard, but I'm not a screamer. I've never, well, I did throw something once, but, uh, you <laughs> Did know. you ever ask anyone to tattoo idiot backwards <laughs> on their forehead? That's the question. That's going to no, be, you know, the gold no. standard. Right. <laughs> and, and so I, I think, I think it was a hard work ethic, but not the brutality, the personal brutality and insults that often came with that. So I, I think that that's the difference is I wanted to bring a kinder operatorship, but not relent on the insane goals. Like we're going to go to Mars. We're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to bring in the metaverse, like go do stuff that just is crazy and find some crazy people who will go there with you but let the passion to win drive them more than your browbeating people and your turnover rate in your, your staff is like six months, you know, average. So that, that I think is the really big difference. How do you, if you go back and you look at Mad Men, back then it was, you're going to drink and smoke and do business in a bar, right? Mm -hmm. And then it shifted, technology changes how business is done. Why well, I would say, Sure, back in the 80s and 90s, you could do business one way. Now it's changed. You got to do it. But it doesn't mean you, 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 you aren't going to have pressure to get things done. You still do. You called your book Black Founder. Yeah. Why? We went back and forth between Black Founder and Founder as a title. And at the time, there was Black Panther movie was out. You know, when you when you think of James Brown's song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, mm -hmm. there's the idea of do I lean back and try and just be another entrepreneur or another business memoir and say founder or do I lean into it? And I embrace everything that, you know, what's there's a there's a really popular story in the book where me and Jeff, who was one of my employees, Jeff went to an Ivy League school. I barely got out of high school and I didn't go to college. Jeff and I walked into a meeting and this kid walks up to Jeff and puts his hand out and says, hey, Stacy, welcome to our venture firm. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that's Stacy. Mm -hmm. Because the guy automatically assumed mm -hmm. because Jeff had the book mm -hmm. that he's the founder. Mm -hmm. And so it was to say, I'm going to embrace all aspects of this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to lean into Black Founder where Panther could have been Panther, but no, it's Black Panther as in I'm going to fully bring in the context of, of an unavoidable thing. There are people who you can be a religion, 
And no one knows until you say, or you can be atheist or agnostic. No one knows until you have a conversation. You can't, is he black? <laughs> it's like, you can't get around it. Uh, that was going to be my my next question. You know, you can say to yourself, okay, you know, we've come so far. Haven't you worked hard enough that you want to just be a founder? You don't want to be a black founder. But on the other side, saying black founder talks about how much you've had to go through. So you might have skills, not might have, you have skills and approaches and strategies that in a way exalt you. Yeah. So my question is, what have you learned being an outsider? What have you learned being in rooms where you're either one of two black men or black men and women? Yeah. Give me a little peek into that insight that you have had and have gleaned over the years. Yeah, that's a great question. The um, I, I think innovation rarely comes from inside the ivory tower. It's always coming from places no one's looking at. It's on the edge where lack of resources, but introductions of technologies meet. So let me give you an example. Mm. If you were Frank Sinatra and you wanted to do an album, Capitol Records would get a 40-piece orchestra and they would book it for a week and Quincy Jones would do all the writing for months and Frank would come in and you'd rehearse and you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if your soul wants to make music and you live in the Bronx and you're in your bedroom, but you hear those strings in Fly Me to the Moon or New York, New York, and you can't afford that 40 piece orchestra, but you've got a Tascam drum machine, you've got a mixtape. You got this electric equipment that you were able to get at a pawn shop. And now it's sampling. You can have the 40 piece orchestra and you can create music. Well, that technology and being out on the edge gives rise or birth. You didn't see rock develop where classical music was. You didn't see hip hop being born where R&B was at the time and it had matured. So you always get it on the outer edge is where innovation happens. And that's what it means to be an outsider. An outsider gives you an entirely unique, disruptible view of the world. Mm -hmm. I had to know how to do more with less, but I talk about this in the book where I say every outsider has a community they're coming from that that is your advantage, whether you're gay, whether you're black, whether you're, you've got a group of people that are rooting you on. Mm -hmm. So you have a, a home base to start with. Did you have a group that was rooting you on? Yeah. You know, I was looking at all of these filmmakers being an exec at Miramax. I would get tapes in the mail saying, hey, because there was only two black executives, there's only four in distribution. And so I'm in Ebony and Jet. And so I'm getting movies sent to me where they're saying, help me. And letters with families saying, our son maxed out our credit cards. Please help us get this movie out. And I couldn't get it done inside the Miramax system. Mm. And so mm. I said, what if I created a 
film festival mm. that these works could be seen. And so Ava DuVernay came from Urban World. Malcolm Lee came from Urban World. Tim Story, who directed Fantastic Four. Blitz, who directed Color Purple. These are all alumni from Urban World. Rosaria Dawson used to run around with tape on her glasses. Carrie Washington was there. Like they were all babies there. And this was a place for them. Well, I had that as a home base mm-hmm. because I was helping them. I got my foot in the door at Miramax because Bob and Harvey gave me a chance mm-hmm. because I had done great soundtracks. When I did the Bad Boys soundtrack, I had the number one soundtrack, the number one movie, the number one single and the number one video in the country. And they were like, go get him. Mm. And so that talent, I got my foot in the door. I helped get people in with Urban World. So then when I wanted to swing for the fences and go try and create something like Movie Pass, I had the very first film festival we ever showcased Movie Pass at was Urban World. Mm. That was the first place I saw a commercial for Movie Pass on a screen was at my own festival. Wow. Because Sundance wouldn't sp- let me be a sponsor. Yeah. Sometimes a no really is a blessing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel like it at the time, right? You, you're like, what the heck? Why can't it yeah. work in the system? But being yeah. outside of the system, if, you, if you're able to look at it as a key advantage, it yes. can really take you far. That's the whole point. The point is being an outsider is a huge advantage compared to if you get in the establishment, ask how many frustrated executives are sitting in companies that they know they could make it different. And probably the best thing that will ever happen to them is they'll get fired Mm -hmm. and they'll go create something and be unlocked for all those ideas that they have. They'll finally be able to do them because now you're an outsider. Yeah. And and what what do you think it was about you that that allowed you to see that? Because it's almost like people maybe people see it and they don't have the courage to take the leap. I mean, you and I can sit here and do an interview and look backwards. At the time, you don't know that you have right. the courage. You are scared. You're broke. You, you, Your phone just got cut off. You don't know how you're going to do it. But why did you do it? I mean, you have to know how why you did it, because you could have stayed within the system. You were loved in the system. You were successful in the system. You obviously saw a need to get out of the system. No, I got fired. You got, I got fired. When I, when I went to Focus Features, it was October, called October at the time. Barry Diller was buying the company and they didn't renew my contract and I was out. And there was only so many seats of that CMO seat at those studios. And, you know, all the majors were buying up the minis and they were all going up into the mothership and then they didn't need people anymore. And so the seats were gone. And so I had to do something on and and so it was more survival than it was an act of brilliance on my part. It was like I needed to eat. Yeah. I, I too have been fired and I turned yeah. out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. But there's a psychology to being fired that sets you back, but you have had to have been thinking for quite some time to launch into something new. So you had obviously really been analyzing the scene. on the ground for some time. Is that correct? Yeah, I think there's, you're you're absolutely right about it. I think being a marketing exec, you understand the buying power of communities Mm -hmm. and you understand 
if you come from those communities, you can play a role in that. And right. so having helped start Urban World for women, people of color, anybody who was outside the mainstream. And what was unique about Urban World was we said, if you are a person of color, your subject matter can be anything. And if you are not a person of color, then your subject matter is about people of color. Mm -hmm. So what it did was it gave a really wide palette for everybody to play in the sandbox versus, okay, this is a film festival for only black people and no one else need apply. Mm -hmm. We kept it really open for what type of stories do you want to tell as a person of color and what type of stories do you want to tell about people of color? And that was the commonality. And so it made a really broad spectrum and it gave me a confidence when I saw, do you know how they're doing these actors and directors roundtable? Yes. Uh, yes. You see it on Hollywood Insider all the time. Yeah. yeah. So yesterday there was one that they dropped and it was the directors and they had Michael Mann, they had Greta, they had Blitz who did Color Purple, they had Ava who did Origin, they had Bradley Cooper. Mm -hmm. And Ava and Blitz were talking about urban world and how they got their start at this festival. And I'm crying at mm. home knowing that I'm done. If, if nothing else happens, <laughs> if that was it. Drop the mic. <laughs> I have fulfilled my destiny to yeah. help move this conversation forward because Gordon Parks said the most powerful thing is images. And so there were black presidents in film before there was a black president in the White House. Mm -hmm. You first have to see it in your fantasy before it can be reality. And so I've done, it's like, I'm done. I've like, yeah. I've fulfilled my destiny where I've created the Apollo, what Apollo theater was to music, urban world is to cinema. And mm -hmm. it has been a cultural mm -hmm. ambassador to bring these stories forward in these creators in ways that I could never imagine. Mm. I remember Ava sitting in the seat next to me during the screening of Dream Girls, and she says, I really want to direct a movie. I said, well, Ava, direct one. You got a festival that will show it. Mm. And then she directed, and she's now where she is. And so wow. that's that thing you talk about, why do you keep going? I think it's the ancestors and right place, right time, that you have a responsibility to not quit. You have a responsibility to keep going because there's too many people that died for you to sit at this moment and do nothing or feel sorry for yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't have the right or the opportunity or the time. And I love what Billie Jean King, when she said, pressure is privilege. And you know what? The pressure that I experienced as a Black founder being one of those early ones getting through the door and showing people what you're going to have to do when you get through here. That pressure is the privilege that a lot of people never had. Both of my grandmothers fold clothes and cleaned houses for their whole lives. It's like they never had the chance to do what I'm doing, mm -hmm. let alone affect imagery of storytelling that people are getting to do today because we played a little tiny part in giving them an opportunity to showcase what they were thinking in their heads. Mm. And I think I'm playing the right part 
because there's not a there's a lot more actors than there are people like me creating platforms for them you know and i and so i'm a rarer beast but i think i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be so when you think about yourself in those early days you know just starting out at miramax what would you say to someone who is just starting out in the hollywood industry who is having some of those same sensory experiences that you talked about, like going, really, there's gum on the street, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. This is nothing like I expected it. And and getting and then realizing that the gum is the most beautiful part because it gets yeah. worse from there. When, yeah. when they're in that moment and they're thinking, I got to get out of here. This isn't me. Because I'm sure you had a lot of moments where you're like, this isn't me. What do you say to that person? Remember to stay in contact with that kid that was in a bedroom and had dreams. And don't let that kid die. Mm. That kid is why you're doing what you're doing and where you are. And those dreams were put into you. Whatever you believe, I believe your creator put those kernels of those ideas because God or whoever needed you to move the the conversation forward in your own unique way. Giovanni does it with his little restaurant. You know, the guys who run Joe's Pizza, all of those photos up on the wall when you walk in Joe's Pizza, they're starving artists. I remember being in the West Village and that's all I could afford was going to Joe's Pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't doubt your little part in this big tapestry of things and never doubt that you are supposed to be here. You are supposed to play a part. You are supposed to move the conversation forward in your own unique way. Mm-hmm. I would tell them, don't ever let go of that. The universe puts you here. What Harvey or somebody else thinks of you is none of your business. What God thinks of you is your business mm-hmm. is what I would say. Ooh, that is so good. It is such a why. If everyone, anyone's looking for a why, you just gave it to them. That's wonderful. Um, you mentioned that you were inspired by Richard Branson way back when. Who inspires you now? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I, this is this is going to sound weird. I go and I sit in the theater, and the lights go down, and I get taken to a world way beyond my imagination. And then the lights come up and I go, God, I love what I do. Mm. And I love that I get to create, see, because the last mile, and you know this working in media, the last mile is the hardest mile. You can make all the content you want. Getting people to see it or listen to it (laughs) is the hardest part. And see, that's the part where no one wants to play. Everyone Mm. wants to be the face or the Mm. voice Mm -hmm. or the, the one on screen and up at the podium with the award, but no one understands that last mile of actually getting butts in seats, actually getting people to buy it, actually people to experience your vision of what you're trying to bring into the world. That's the hardest part. And so I think, wow, look at the unique thing I get to do that gets to take people in the form of new technology, because I, I don't look at myself as much in the movie industry as I'm in the attention business. Mm. And my goal is how do I help these movies be seen? Mm-hmm. 
how do I help that last mile happen versus you got your moment, you worked seven years, you put it up and no one came. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a very unique place to be. And so the, the artists and the work like that kid seeing what Ridley Scott did at 12 years old, they are what inspire me today. They are the things that I go, I cannot wait to see what happens. When I went and saw Poor Things, it's crazy. When I saw Barbie, when I went and saw Taylor Swift and kids are dancing in the theater like you're at a rock concert. It's like all of that, if there wasn't the infrastructure for it to stand on, it wouldn't work. And, and theaters would go the way of record stores. So I really hold such honor. And I say to everybody in my industry, let us leave it better than what we found it. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be a tragedy if the next generations only experience cinema on something that big and they don't remember what it was like to go, whoa. Yeah, it's so know? true. It's so true. I just recently saw Wonka with my oh, my yeah. boys and it yeah. was, I wasn't expecting, I was like, you know what, This it was yeah. just the afternoon and I was completely ensconced in this movie and the, the it really felt magical in a way that I think I needed. I had yeah. gotten away from that and I completely agree with what you're saying. It is a, such a unique wonderful, transformative experience, as is this conversation, Stacey. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. This was great. Absolutely. We'll have to go eat at Barpedi and uh, do that in real time at some point. That is crazy. We were neighbors and I didn't even know it. Have a great day. Really appreciate you it. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at To Dine For TV and Facebook at To Dine For with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the podcast, American National and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. 